Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Liu. Joining me, as always, to be honest, Vivek Jacob, Complex Sports Canada. What's good, man? Some things don't change. Happy to be here, man. Listen, uh, you know, other, uh, you know, this is a star driven league and everything like that. Uh, you know, obviously contracts don't matter. Commitments don't matter. Nothing like that matters. But uh, friendships don't matter, man. And you, you're my guy. You might, you, I've told you many times you're my go-to option. And you're my go-to <laughs> option for this very, very dreary podcast. Look, listen, people are freaking out that Giannis watch is dead. All right. Because, mm. Because the Milwaukee Bucks went out and traded Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, three future first-round picks, and two pick swaps for Drew Holiday, who is making $26 million next year with an early termination option of $27 million for the 21-22 season. So he's really just guaranteed for one year. And then, shortly thereafter, the Bucks went out and got Bogdan Bogdanovich, man. Uh, by swapping Dante DiVincenzo, Ursa Eliasova, and some other random stuff in a sign-and-trade. Uh, Bogdanovich is going to make $14 million a year. Um, this is prompting a lot of panic because people think this means that Giannis is going to, you know, sign the Supermax because why would the Bucks do this without the Supermax? Let's start there. What does this say about Giannis's intention on the Supermax? Because I can kind of see it going one way or the other, to be honest. Yeah, it can definitely go both ways. I think my I lean towards thinking that Giannis believes he can sign the Supermax. And so that's convinced the Bucks that, okay, it's it's fine to give up all these picks and sacrifice the future if we're going to have you around. But I think Giannis also says, hey, I'll sign the Supermax because that maximizes my financial well-being. But the way player power is now, if things aren't going well, I'm just going to want out. Yeah. Um, and again, I think you're probably mentioning that because, you know, um, over in the West, James Harden with three years left on his deal with a hundred two, two years, two years. So, okay. it's, it, well, the third year is a player option. So, I mean, the player option is for like 47 million. So, I mean, he said no to 50. So. <laughs> Yo, by the way, I, we'll, we'll, t- we'll talk about that, too. But I, I just can't believe that he automatically turned down two more years at tacked onto his contract at. Yeah, like fifty million per year because, like, at that point, it's not a guarantee that he's going to make that fifty million. Like, it's not a guarantee. He's thirty-one years old. That's you're telling me it's like. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's just that desperate and he doesn't really care about money. Maybe honestly, you get to a certain point in life where you're just like the additional money doesn't matter, um, which is another concern. But um, let's get. I back wonder. To the, yeah, what, what do you say? Just, just to quickly touch on, I wonder how much of it is also factoring what the escrow is like there's uncertainty with the escrow right so right now obviously guys who are supposed to make 40 mil are made you know making 80 percent of that or whatever it may be right and so i wonder how much of that is a factor with looking at extensions now saying hey i want some certainty before i really commit yeah but i mean yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I, I think it maybe is also a bit of a mistake. I mean, it depends on how they feel about the upcoming CBA, too. The next CBA completely locks down and it's way more in favor of the owners than the players. Then, yeah, I could see some some the logic in that. And again, that's that's partially why that I, I thought it was wild that Harden turned down an additional $50 million a year at, at the age of like 35 and 36. Like, I mean, all right. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it, it's a tough one for sure. But I mean, I guess from his perspective, he's looking at it, probably thinking this is the level I've been at. I've been super durable my whole career. And so why not? And and his game sort of lends to being able to have that added longevity, right? Because of his ability to shoot the ball or create his own shot. So maybe he sees himself going till he's like 38, 39, 40, whatever it is, right? 
I mean, I guess so, but uh, yeah, it's a lot. And look, we'll get to Harden in a sec too, but let's get back to Giannis. People are freaking out because uh, what this might say about the Supermax. Um, I mean, I think on one hand, you could say that the Bucks don't make a move this drastic and they don't push all in without a guarantee from their superstar that he's going to sign the Supermax. But then on the flip side, you could also say that because Giannis has not signed the Supermax, you need to do whatever you can to persuade him mm-hmm. to sign. And so, therefore, you make these moves and mortgage your future. To me, obviously, Giannis and the Bucks have been in communication. They sat down after the season. They discussed it. Then Giannis went vacationing in, in Greece and all over the Mediterranean. It looked great. All right. He's celebrating with his newborn son. Um, but, you know... Um, if I'm Giannis too, and I'm looking at the situation, so first off, the Bucks have um, this is their whole roster at the moment: Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez, uh, someone Jay James, okay, and Thanasa. So that's seven players. That that's what eight players right now. You need seven more players. They're already pretty much at the cap, so those guys are going to be minimum guys. Um, you know, and then you're looking at that roster. A lot of those guys, the core guys are older. You know, Middleton, close to 30. Uh, Lopez, above 30. Holiday, above 30. Bogdanovich, you know, even though he's been in the league a very short amount of time, he's 28 already. Um, yeah, Giannis is, I believe, the youngest guy in the roster now, at least the young, youngest guy in the rotation. And then you also have taken out pretty much all your ability to make uh, other moves because you've taken out all your matching salary with Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, you've given up all your picks and pick swaps. So, and you have no more prospects left on the roster really. So um, I don't know, man. I mean, I could see it going either way. I mean, if you had to make a prediction route, do you think Giannis signs the Supermax? If you were Giannis right now, would you sign the Supermax? If I were Giannis, I would definitely would not sign the Supermax. Mm. I, I, I just don't look at Milwaukee as, an organization that's seriously committed to winning on that level, right? Like you had the time to prove it. I do, if I'm Giannis, I don't like the coach either, right? And so uh, for those reasons, I wouldn't. But uh, with Giannis, I, I can see him saying, okay, let me secure the bag now. And then when the situation isn't what I want or they're not, you know, giving me the right pieces, then I'm just going to say, hey, get me out of here. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. So Giannis could sign the Supermax right now, but he could also wait to the end of the year and get that exact same Supermax. You know, what is specifically the incentive? I mean, if you're Giannis too, you can also think about it in terms of, um, you know, like he, I'm sure he wants to secure long-term security for his family. There's actually a, a Adrian Wojnarowski did a really nice uh, three-episode series on the Giannis draft sort of coming, you know, just the Giannis story, sort of how he grew up, his agent, teams who were after him, stuff like that. I listened through it, and Masai was not mentioned, which is, you know, okay, all right. Maybe he just didn't want to be mentioned, or maybe he just wasn't involved, whatever. Um, but nevertheless, you know, if you're Giannis, you might be looking to secure long-term. But again, like, he's, what, 24, 25 years old? Like, you can secure yourself regardless of what's going on for me. I wouldn't tie myself to a five-year deal if I were Giannis at this point, you know? Um, but uh, I agree. You know, but, but I mean, he even like you bring up, bring up the podcast that he did with Woj, like one thing that really stands out in that podcast. And when you listen to Giannis in general, like he's so big on loyalty. He's so big on sort of that one player, one team concept. And you've heard him talk as well about like how much Kobe inspires him. So I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of plays on the back of his mind as well, of being sort of that one team guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think this definitely improves Milwaukee for next season. I think the question is how much does it improve Milwaukee and how yeah. good are the bucks right now? Um, I would say after their playoff run this year, and I guess last year as well, um, their issues were that, um a it didn't feel like they had a great defender for the wing um if you recall from uh the raptors buck series it was a lot of malcolm brogdon guarding Kawhi. which yeah malcolm brogdon is a decent defender but i mean that should not be a matchup 
and Chris Middleton was not used for that matchup. And then this year, they famously struggled with Jimmy Butler. So even though they are a really good defensive team and they have consistently delivered great defensive metrics, um, there's something about that defense in the playoffs with that style of coaching that has not been as successful in the playoffs. It's still good, for sure. It's still good, but it's not as successful. I thought Brooke Lopez got exposed both in the Bucks against the Raptors series and also Bucks Heat series in terms of dropping back and being unable to protect the perimeter. Um, and then you look at obviously the crunch time offense, right? I mean, you know, it, it was a real, real issue for the Bucks. Um, you know, they conceded twenty six to three run to the Raptors. You know, against the the Heat, it's similar kind of deal. Some of those games are close, but still, you know, I would say I felt way more confident in Miami with Jimmy Butler than I did with uh, the Bucks with the way they had it with Giannis and, you know, other guys. So does this address either of those two issues? No, it doesn't. Because again, look at everything you've said. The biggest issue is coaching. Even you go back to that most recent series that the Bucks had against the Heat. Yeah, overall, their perimeter defense was weak. And you can point to the flaws of Brooke Lopez. But even the stuff that they had working for them, like Wesley Matthews was their best defender against Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Yep. And Bud wouldn't use him. And so it's like, what are you doing? And so we see this over and over again. Even now with these pieces, what's Drew Holiday's minutes going to be at in the playoffs? Is it going to be 28? Is it going to be 26? <laughs> what's Giannis going to be at in the playoffs? So these are the things that, that still need to be addressed that we don't know are going to change. And then you talk about winning the championship. I think as a defense, even, even as an offense, essentially your team has to operate like a Swiss army knife. You have to be able to do to operate in different ways and do multiple things. Mm. And if you don't have that versatility, then you are going to get caught out at some point. You think about the Raptors championship. They had to play against Philly a certain way. They had to play against the Bucks a certain way. Then they had to play against the Warriors a different way. And they were able to do that because of all the different schemes they have defensively because of the variety and attack that they had offensively. You look at the Lakers as well, winning this championship. Yeah, we can talk LeBron and AD, but again, they had to play a different style against Portland, a different style, that micro ball style against Houston. Denver plays very differently. And then you look at Miami playing very differently as well. So you have to be able to adjust to different teams. And with Bud, I don't have the confidence that they can do that. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean that's definitely one of the biggest question marks now because you do have an influx of, I would say, higher-end talent. They definitely traded a lot of their depth for higher-end talent, but, I mean, most teams will make that trade for sure. Um, and it's, it is it is really a matter of coaching, as you mentioned, um, because you, you, you are going to need some flexibility. I feel like if they had one more wing, like a really good wing, um, they could put Giannis at center and they can go small ball, and that could really tear teams up, right, because if you have – you know, uh, Bogdan at one, you have Drew Holiday at two, Chris Middleton at three, this filler, you know, let's say like an OG and an OB type at four, and then Giannis, you know, that's, I mean, that's unbelievable, but um, they don't really quite have that flexibility at the moment based on the roster. And again, the roster is seven guys right now. Um, so it's a, it's a real concern. I mean, I saw some jokes about how, you know, Giannis made these moves so that uh, Bud will keep his, uh, him in the game because they literally have no bench right now. But um, I also just think that like, it's, I don't know, man. I mean, it's weird because in terms of strictly as a basketball trade, just in terms of like, what do they get? What are they receiving? And what do they give out? Um, it's not a great trade in terms of value wise, but again, it, it doesn't even really, it's not about that. It's, it's the same situation as the Paul George thing is what, you know, yes, no one in the right mind is going to trade, you know, five picks, two tr- uh, pick swaps and Shea, and Gallinari just for Paul George. But if that means you're getting two guys to secure themselves um, to a franchise, then maybe, yeah, you do that move and the calculus is a little different. It's kind of the same thing here with Giannis. Um, at least that's the justification for it. But I don't know, man. I guess my question is like, do you feel like superstars are a little bit too powerful now? Because like that doesn't really seem like, first of all, I don't think this is this current roster as it is with the Bucks is a championship team. Like, I still don't really believe that. And that's not me being salty because, you know, whatever, Giannis might not come to Toronto. That's literally a pipe dream. I'm just mean that, like, it, like as a basketball team, the way it's constructed, it doesn't really strike me as a championship team. And it feels like superstars, because they kind of – they're so valuable, they're so important, they're so uh, marketable, they're such a big thing that it feels like teams are just catering to whatever you 
need to do to satisfy that superstar. And that I don't know if that is good for winning or if that's good for being a GM. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know. Are superstars too powerful? Is is my question. I think it's a fair question. I don't. I don't. I don't think they're too powerful. It, just because when you look at NBA players in the league as a whole, franchises have so much control when they come in. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally the first seven years of their career, they they don't really have a choice. Kristaps Porzingis, you know, that that's like the first example we've had in recent times where someone's still on his rookie deal and saying, no, get me the, the hell out of here, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think when players start demanding where they want to be or they feel like they're in a bad situation, uh, I think they're perfectly within their rights to do so right when they've given it time and things haven't worked out but i think for let's look at james harden right Mm -hmm. i think that's a situation where it's been 50 50 like james harden has you know they they catered to him in every way possible bro the whole they said hey we're gonna the rockets weren't (laughs) we're gonna have the offense around you yeah the rockets go ahead go ahead Yo, the Rockets were not about winning a championship. The Rockets' whole purpose was winning James Harden MVP as a franchise. That's it. Yeah, and they built a whole <laughs> culture around him, right? And so now when you say, okay, I couldn't have the best of both worlds, some of that's got to be on you too. It's when, when, when you made yourself so important in terms of your individual goals, you have to realize there's a bit of a sacrifice there. And maybe, you know, if you weren't chasing MVP so hard, you would have had more in the tank in the playoffs and, you know, your performance wouldn't have gone down as much and you might've won a series and you might've got to the finals. Now the Rockets did accomplish a lot. I don't want to diminish what they accomplished. They went against a dynastic team in the Warriors, pushed them to seven games. And frankly, they were Chris Paul injury away from getting to the finals. So that's significant. At the same time, you know, the Harden situation, that, that's, I think, as an organization, that's a tough pill to swallow. But there's other situations where you look at when LeBron was in Cleveland the first time, obviously they didn't put the pieces around him, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, what was the best player he played with? Sasha Pavlovich? Pavlovich? Oh, come on, man. Ilgowskis? Like <laughs> Anthony Parker, baby. Booby Gibson? <laughs> So uh, you look at Chris Bosh in Toronto, uh-huh. right? Obviously, he didn't put pieces around him. Best player he played with was Hito Turkoglu or TJ Ford. So situations like that, I empathize with the player mm-hmm. where you have to take control of that. And yeah. uh, But with, with Harden, I, I find it hard to empathize because I think he's gotten everything he could have possibly hoped for. Everything that he wanted when he left OKC, he got from Houston. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I, I don't really feel bad for Houston necessarily, and I'm really not against player empowerment or anything like that. I'm just thinking that, like, is it a smart move to give players that much control over your decision-making process? Because you look at some of the recent trades, right? Anthony Davis trade. They're giving up Lonzo Hart, uh, sorry, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, <laughs> Brandon Ingram, three first-round picks, all right? Whatever, first-round picks for the Lakers, they're probably going to be good in the next couple of years, maybe not that much, but still a huge haul. The Paul George's trade, five firsts, two swaps, Shea Gilgis Alexander. The Westbrook trade, two firsts, two swaps. I mean, that was just a bad trade all around. And again, I don't know how Darren Morey escapes all of the criticism for that. It's like, oh, yeah, Fertitta wanted to push that deal through. It's like, that's fine. You still have to make a deal, man. Make a better deal than that. And the Drew Holiday trade, three picks, two swaps, and then all, you know, the rest of your salary, whatever. Um, I'm just thinking that like a lot of these moves don't really feel like they're going to lead to championships. The AD thing is different. You already have LeBron, LeBron, like, I'm totally happy giving LeBron the power to make moves. You have LeBron, okay? I think the issue is most mm-hmm. of these like superstars are not LeBron. Like, most <laughs> of these superstars are not LeBron. So, it's, you know, because, like, you think about it, like, oh, yeah, you're going to acquiesce to every single, you know, whim of James Harden. Okay, I get it. Uh, yeah, you want to build a team. James Harden is not like a bankable, you have him, you are in championship contention superstar. You are probably guaranteed 50 wins, and you're probably going to compete, and he's going to have a lot of numbers. But you are not guaranteed to compete for a championship. And unless you really have that in mind, like, what is the goal? Like, it's just, it's all about satis- satisfying a superstar rather than trying to win. And, of course, most of those things are, like, hand in hand. 
you have to satisfy it. You have to A, have a superstar, A, B, have him be bought in, and C, have a great roster around him. Um, and then, you know, D, you need some luck and things like that and health. Um, but that that's how you win a championship. And I feel like for a lot of these teams, they're just skipping through all of it. It's, it's you know, it's just our superstars unhappy. We got to do whatever we can to satisfy this guy. And it's just like, I don't know if that's necessarily the way to, to, to operate or, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, whether the Bucks win a championship or not, I could really care less, but I'm just, I just feel like the, the trend doesn't really feel, I don't know. It doesn't really feel the most towards winning. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that like teams should have complete control over players and that, you know, players should just get dumped whenever and that players can't have any recourse to take against, uh, against teams. But when you essentially make uh, players GMs, there is no actual recourse for the player. There are recourses for GMs. If you are a bad GM and you run a team, you get fired. You, You can't fire a superstar. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that like, again, I'm a lot, you know, it's, it's a bad move necessarily to try to appease, you know, Giannis, or it's a bad move to appease Kawhi, or it's a bad move to appease all these other guys. But it's, it's got to be a very select handful of players that even get that power. And, like, for James to have it right now, it's kind of trash, right? Like, he's basically telling Houston, I only want to go here. I have three years left in my contract. You're going to trade me there, and you're going to take on less. Like, uh, you're not going to get the best deal for it. I mean, like, that's objective. Yeah, that, that's why I think... It's a shitty situation. With with the money, with the time that's left on his contract, and the con- and the amount of the contract they gave him, I think Houston's perfectly within their say. Hey, we're not getting what we want. Mm-hmm. You can either give us more options where we can get what we want from other teams, or you can just continue to play basketball here. We're not obligated to trade you, mm-hmm. and you can just kind of deal with it. And uh, again, they can point to the fact that you wanted Chris Paul, we brought you Chris Paul. You wanted Russell Westbrook, we brought you Russell Westbrook. So. I, I think situations like that, it, it's it's on both parties to figure it out. And I think the important thing you're highlighting too is we talk a lot about chemistry and you know building that cohesion. And you look at what the Raptors have, mm-hmm. and big part of why I want Fred VanVleet back, even if it is a little overpriced, is because there is that intangible value in having been through the battle together and having gotten gone through the struggles together and you look at Siakam and Fred and what they've gone through in their come up you know to the 905 through the 905 then the bench up now being basically cornerstones of the franchise there's intangible value in that and I think players also need to recognize that in terms of hey okay every franchise sort of needs to be on the clock because you need to keep them on their toes in terms of pursuing winning but also, you know, be straight up with them. Don't, you know, don't just all, you know, keep your thoughts to yourself. And then all of a sudden one day just up and be like, okay, I want to trade out of here. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're consistently communicating saying I'm happy now, I'm happy now, I'm happy now. And all of a sudden you ask for a trade that doesn't make sense. Right. Be consistent. And now you're approaching those front offices saying, Hey, this is the window we have. I, these are the things I want us to accomplish as a team. And I think, a great example. I know Kawhi's taking a, a big hit with the way the bubble went down, mm-hmm. but you know, reading Nick Nurse's book, when Nick Nurse says he has a meeting with Kawhi, and Nick is the one going to him saying, "Hey, I'm looking at at the level you're playing. I think you can. You, you have a real shot at MVP. Uh, what are the things that you want from me to help you do that?" And Kawhi straight up just tells him, "I don't care about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I just want to win championships." Like that's that that should be the approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't blame people for wanting those individual accolades because obviously they mean a lot. But at the same time, if you want those things, then you have to recognize that you might not get everything else that comes. You know the team stuff that can come with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it, honestly, for a guy like on Kawhi's level with that mentality, okay, maybe the only thing holding Kawhi back is health. But like you know, you, again, you're willing to acquiesce to these kind of guys, but, you know, I think the other thing is when you have, um, when you have a team-based sport, like, like, you know, like basketball is, you know, it's when players essentially become GMs, 
how, how does that work in a locker room? Again, if you're LeBron, LeBron is the exception, okay? Like, it's not like everyone should be modeling himself as LeBron. That doesn't really work. But if, if you're in the Brooklyn Nets locker room, for example, you played together. You didn't really achieve that much. But, you know, it was a decent team. You made the playoffs, whatever. The whole core is gone, essentially. Everyone else who is still there is up for sale. And it's not even the, your GM that's making that move. It's really just Kevin, like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, who just came haven't actually done shit with the squad yet. Of course, they are champions and they're accomplished players. I'm not saying they haven't done shit. I'm just mean with that specific situation. Yeah. And they are now in positions to trade these guys. And if they're not, then you just they got the coach fired. They got the coach fired. Well, all this other stuff. All right. I, you know, you're just, you're just there. And again, how does that impact on a team sport? How do you compartmentalize that? Right? Like if, if we're all working together in an office and we're coworkers, but I also decide what you're doing. And also there's a boss that's supposed to decide what everyone else is doing. That's really awkward, man. Be, be I mean, careful, Will. Be careful where you're going with this, Will. Uh, you know, to be clear, this is just an, the hypothetical. But um, I'm just saying, I'm in, in a team sport, it, it's it's kind of awkward, man. I mean, um, but look, this is this is the world we live in. You know, this is this is superstars. They make their moves. Um, you know, and I think look, we'll, we'll get back to the Raptors. I think um, in a second, but I, I think the last like bigger ethereal question I wanted to ask you was sort of like maybe because a friend of mine brought this up to me. It was like, maybe draft picks aren't really worth what we think they're worth. Do you feel like it's like Mm. there is teams are now correctly assessing that? Yeah, I'm giving up five draft picks. That's fine. You know what I mean? Um, It's worth it for a superstar. Uh, Or do you feel like teams are just really desperate and they are suddenly undervaluing draft picks? Because the way it's going right now, every trade has like four draft picks in it. And maybe four draft picks isn't what we used to think of it as, right? Obviously, the Billy King trade with the Brooklyn Nets taking on Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce just to block Kyle Lowry in Game 7. Um, you know, that that sort of scarred the league maybe for a while, but it's like every single week now there is a Billy King trade being made. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, draft picks are basically like cars, right? As soon as you drive it off the lot, it doesn't have the same value. So... If you get the get rid of them, you know before there's a name attached to it, that's that's when they have their highest value. After that, you, you look at, you know, players that struggle. Obviously, there's the exceptions who then you know you're not even thinking about trading, right? Then you you just holding on to that incredible value that you have. But I, I think the way GMs look at draft picks, that value that they hold before you make a selection, I think that's immense. So. If you can get a star, and again, you know, you're seeing more of these win now moves. Masai basically broke the league, right? <laughs> he went out, Bro. went all in, <laughs> and now everyone thinks they can do it. So, I think, you know, but but to your point, people are confusing what an acceptable sort of package is for a superstar, right? Like, there's is one thing to give up the package the Lakers gave up for AD. Mm-hmm. But now when you're giving up the AD package for a Paul George, when you're giving up the AD package for a Drew Holiday, that's when you're wondering what's going on here. That's when things don't match up. It's one thing to give it up for that elite top tier talent, right? Mm-hmm. Even if even, even if the Bucks gave up that elite package for Chris Paul, you're looking at it differently. With Drew Holiday, again, arguably the best defensive guard in the league, but offensively, is he going to be able to address some of those weaknesses that's, that the Bucks have when, when teams, again, will build that wall and force the ball out of Giannis's hands? What, yeah. what's, the, what's the play going to be? Well, that's the thing. You're not playing the Bucks any differently, and you are playing them kind of the same way you were before. Now, of course, before it was easier with, Brock, with uh, Bledsoe, who was not shooting it well. But let me just give you Drew Holiday's shooting numbers from three of the last – uh, five seasons, okay? This is dating back to 2015. 34% from three on 4.7 attempts per game. All right, now, of course, yeah, he had to generate more of his own threes, whatever, you know, maybe his catch-and-shoot numbers are better. Everyone's catch-and-shoot numbers are better, man. But, um, yeah, it's 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 not like they acquired uh, Dame Lillard here. Um, but, uh, again, like, I, I do think it improves the Bucks at least in the bottom line. I, I still do think that, like, again, you know, the Bucks are – going to be played kind of the same way and um you know 
We'll see. I mean, you know what? Part of this is also how good is Giannis, right? Because I think they also need Giannis to deliver on the next stage because part of the, the, the Bucks' shortcomings has been what Giannis has done. Yes, Bud could have played him more minutes. Yes, Bud could have put him on Jimmy Butler or whatever, maybe, maybe put more defense. Uh, but at the same time, it's also some of the limitations is his own game. And that's where you get into a tricky thing because superstars, yeah, you, you know, you can make all the calls, you make all the shots, you trade everybody in your team, you're the boss of your franchise. And then what happens? If you don't deliver there should be some accountability, right? Like there should be some accountability for Kawhi for the way the Clippers thing was handled. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and I think the tougher thing is just, it's it's so difficult now to build anything close to a dynasty, right? Because you need a lot of things to organically come together to form a dynasty. You don't necessarily make these superstar trades and then get a dynasty because what superstars are doing immediately when they become unhappy is drain the entire team of all the assets that they have acquired over a period of time. And the only way that teams can recoup any of these assets is to trade one of the superstars and make the superstars unhappy again. It's just a weird cycle. You know what I mean? But it's in order to get something like golden state teams always want to build a golden state, a, a San Antonio Spurs, you know what I mean? And for those situations, you have careful management, you have good management, you treat the players fair you pick the right players and then you build the right talent around them. And those guys are happy and they can be happy for a long time and they can have, be happy because they've actually got enough star players to surround themselves with. But um, yeah, man, the league is, the league is changing, man. The league is, the league is very different now. So last thing I want to ask you, man, um, Raptors, should they, ch- this is, how does this affect the Raptors? Does this change their strategy at all? I think one, the East looks pretty damn good right now, man. I mean, especially if James Harden makes his way to the, the Brooklyn Nets, that, that would be pretty killer. Uh, and if Giannis does end up signing the Supermax and essentially take him out of free agency in 2021, how does this affect how the, the Raptors have approached free agency this year, the offseason this year? I don't know. What changes right now? Look, I think for the Raptors, the current free agents become even more of a priority because I think one, uh, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And so you maybe take a step back and say, We'll take care of 2021 when 2021 comes. But right now we have these assets that we can maintain and keep in Toronto. I think that has to be the priority, re-signing Fred, re-signing Serge. And then you go from there because at the end of the day, you know, you even if you pay a bit of a premium on Fred, if you pay a bit of a premium on Serge, you have to remember that Masai's greatest strength as president GM is asset management. Mm. And even if it gets to a point where you feel the need to move on, he has proven that he can get value, right? We saw that with DeMar DeRozan. We saw that with Terrence Ross. We saw that with Andrea Bargnani. He can turn contracts into valuable assets. And so I think for me, you don't risk losing those guys for nothing. If you bring them back, I trust Masai you know, I mean, first of all, they're good players that they're going to contribute in positive fashion to your team. But Mm -hmm. if you ever get to a point where you feel the need to move on, I trust Masai to be able to get more than fair value for them. Yeah, I agree. And I've always been kind of in agreement with the keep the asset kind of thing, especially now you look at it, right? Like, okay, you might say, oh man, all these teams are interested in surge, right? You know, this team's interested, this team's interested. And then, yeah, maybe if you're the Raptors, I'm like, yeah, I will pay a little bit more to keep Surge. And we'll see how the season goes. And we'll see what happens at the trade deadline because you're still going to be needing Surge because you didn't sign Surge. Yep. And Raptors going to have the player. That's the thing. When people talk about like uh, after anything after over $20 million is overpay for Fred, I would walk away at 22. He's only worth 18. And it's like, essentially, you're paying the player's salary and then you have an additional payment of what they are worth as to your franchise as a trade asset as well um exactly and it's more valuable i mean obviously if if fred was getting paid the max let's say he was getting paid 30 mil or something yeah okay then no that's no longer an asset then you get into the bias hair situation just because you have the player doesn't mean no one one wants them right um but even if you overpay by just a little bit or even you know a fair amount um, you still have a player to trade. You look at Gordon Hayward right now. Yeah, I mean, it would not say Gordon Hayward has provided the, the Celtics with maximum value for the max contract he signed. Obviously, he broke his foot, whatever, but still, even since. But he's still being discussed right now as a trade 
you know, asset, you know what I mean? And you need these contracts. Eric Bledsoe, he, you know what? He turned out to be a part of a trade asset here because you're able to match him with salary. George Hill will sign an expensive deal. You can kind of use that as well. So keep the assets, keep the players. And honestly, I think it will, no matter what happens with the Raptors, okay, the Giannis thing is a pipe dream, all right? I mean, we've, it's fun to talk about for sure. And it's definitely <laughs> fun to sign the Bucks, but it's a pipe dream. And anyone who kind of thought that it was some sort of certainty, you're kidding yourself, right? Um, but at the same time, I think for no matter what the Raptors do, whether they want to keep their salary or their, their books open for 2021, what they want to do, we know that free agency is a more difficult path for the Raptors. Historically, has been a more difficult path for the Raptors to build through free agency than through drafting, than through trades. The Raptors have been way more successful drafting and trading. So, um, you know, that's one perspective. And then two, you have to think about what is your goal? What is your goal to win a championship? What, how did the Raptors win their first championship? Well, they had sucked for many years. They had a lot of uh, players and picks and stuff like that, that, you know, you, you not, it's not necessarily like a process kind of you know, Sam Hinkie or like now with Sam Presti holding like 16 extra picks so he could finally hit one. Um, you know, it's not like that kind of situation, but you still had a guy like JV who was a lottery pick and who was valuable enough and good enough to eventually become traded for Marcus Gasol. You had a guy like Terrence Ross, another lottery pick, not great as a player necessarily, but good enough to trade him for Serge Ibaka. You had DeMar DeRozan, who was a lottery pick. You developed him, and all of a sudden, Kawhi becomes available. You know, a unique situation, but still, you flipped him for value, uh, you know, Jakob Pertl. And what the process of winning this championship has, you know, taken away so many of what the Raptors had had in terms of draft capital that became actual players. So I think if the Raptors do kind of be patient at this time, it's also not necessarily saying, oh, they're going to tank, but it's just sort of like we need to recoup and get some more assets because the bench used to be Pascal, uh, you know, Norm, uh, Fred, DeLon, Jacoparto, and now the bench is like Stanley Johnson and Pat McCaw and all these other guys <laughs> who were like weren't actually part of the draft capital, right? So you might need some time to re- restock that. Um, so listen – the only player type of players that Masai has completely just walked away from are Patrick Patterson and Lou Williams. Mm. Do, do, does Fred seem like that type of player? Does no, Serge man. seem like that type of player? So I think I think we have a pretty good idea based on Masai's history of what he's at least going to try and do here, mm. even if it doesn't play out that way. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, man, look, free agency is busy. Um, I'm pretty much going to be doing almost daily pods, um, you know, because there's just so much going on. Again, we're packing so much into it. We didn't even talk about the fact that the NBA just put out some guidelines about like, oh, you know, players got to come back to camp at this specific time. And I'm also thinking like, what is today's date? The 17th. So the, if there's a 14 day in quarantine and the Raptors going to play in Canada, uh, the players already got to be in Toronto by now. Free agency hasn't even started. The draft hasn't even started. It's not even physically possible for some of these guys to be here. So I don't even know. Um, so a lot to be determined, but. Uh, hey, we, yeah. we don't even know where they're going to play. So we still don't know where they're going to play. By the way, that's going to be an awkward sell for free agency, right? Like you're just, you're walking in, you're like, <laughs> all right, sign this deal with us. And they're like, cool, where am I going to live? And they're like, um, maybe Nashville. Like you can't, come on, man. You got to make a decision soon. So um, I'm sure as more news comes, uh, I'll be, I'll be calling you back on this, uh, this Zoom call, but. Uh, I'll be ready. Big V, baby. Anything to plug? You excited for this draft? Excited for the draft, baby. I've been I've been watching <laughs> I've been watching Robo's videos and catching up. Mm. Yeah, that, look, listen, man. The ten minute highlight video that guys like Robo and other guys can can make um, those are so useful because there is no way I'm going to track down like two, three games worth of tape yeah. and, and watch that. There's 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 so little return. So, um, yeah, looking forward to the draft, man. You got yeah. a prediction. You got a prediction. Give me, give me, give me your quick prediction on who the Raptors going to draft. Man, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's going to go higher than 29, but mm. I'm rooting for Teo Maladon. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the Frenchman. <laughs> Not that, I think he's sort of one of those solid picks that has a high floor, mm. which the Raptors tend to like. Yep. And they'll just build up from there. I, th- I think because of his Euro League experience, and I think honestly, I feel like that's another thing that 
has changed over the last few years is just the way franchises look at now having EuroLeague experience. Remember, there was always that stigma of European players being soft, European players not being ready, this and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I think that's that's flipped where you're looking at EuroLeague experience the right way. And so I think for him to be really young and have that EuroLeague experience and be more of that floor general type, I think he'd be uh, a nice pickup for the Raptors. But... I I have an inkling he'll he'll probably go higher than that. You have a prediction? Uh, I was kind of I mean, no, not really. I mean, I, I think it's kind of silly to make a prediction, but even though I just made you do it, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we do, man. That's what we do. No, I mean, you know, I, I look. I, I have a running spreadsheet of sort of uh, all the players the Raptors have spoken to and reported and stuff like that. So I'm going to touch on that in the second half of this podcast. But um, yeah, I mean. He, if I'm looking at the sort of the, the prospects pool and everything like that, that's out there. I just want a guy who can shoot um, first and foremost. And I don't know if, if uh, Teo Maledon has the, uh, has the three point shot necessarily down just, just yet. So, I mean, I think honestly, yeah. there's a lot of good shooters in this draft, uh, at least at the collegiate level. And that's probably where I would go. I mean, like if they go with like a Malachi Flynn, who they've talked to, um, if they go with like a Desmond Bain, all these guys, like there's a lot of guys that can shoot in this draft. So um, shout out Aaron Rose, man. You go to his yo, Twitter timeline, you know, every single person the Raptors have spoken to. Yeah, exactly. Aaron Rose must be the only a media member with a Blackberry because <laughs> how else getting all these Messiah scripts? But no, um, yeah, I mean, look, the draft's coming up. Um, it feels very secondary because so much is happening out there, but uh, you know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's all good. So Giannis, listen, don't sign in yet just yet. Okay, got to give the Raptors a chance. They might sign Theo Maladon, and uh, you know it's uh, you know that he could just be the the, the French uh, Drew Holiday. So, V, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on the pod. Of and, course, uh, man, of course. And yeah, listeners, I'll be uh, touching on the draft in a second. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, the Raptors have the NBA draft coming up on Wednesday. Uh, I'm definitely not going to pretend to be a draft expert, but uh, I did my best here. So what I've done is go through um, all the players that the Raptors have been publicly linked to so there have been a lot of reports of like player a talk to player or team b and stuff like that so um i kind of kept a you know uh running file of all these uh players that the raptors have been linked to and i can kind of go through the list um the raptors obviously have the 29th pick they have the 59th pick uh they have the option to probably buy a second round pick obviously we know what the raptors success in the undrafted player pool you know with guys like um you know fred you know td last year um you know, I guess even Matt Thomas is undrafted. Chris Boucher undrafted. Clearly, they're going to go into the undrafted pool. You know, O'Shea Brissett they added things like that. So, 
Um, you know, the Raptors are not shy about going that route. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a good, you know, uh, draft. I think even though the Raptors are picking low, uh, the you know, there's an extensive history that um, Masai has in terms of success with lower picks. Um, if you look at sort of his tenure in Denver, he did pretty well late in the draft getting guys at pretty good value. Like, you know, um, who did he get? Kenneth Reed, which was a pretty good pick for a while. Uh, Afri kind of flamed out quick in his career, but he was quite good for Denver. And, um, you know, you look at uh, Evan Fournier was a pretty good pick. Again, for, for guys picking in the late 20s, which is what Fournier and, um, and um, you know, the guy won for, uh, Fareed won for, like, that's that's pretty damn good. So, um, you know, and, and of course, with the Raptors, it's gotten even better. You have uh, DeLon at 20. Norman Powell, 46, Pascal, 27, you know, uh, OG, 23, you know, you know, and of course, some pretty good undrafted guys as well. So, um, there's a good history there, and I'm pretty excited about the draft. And like I mentioned in the first half of the episode, I really do believe that the Raptors are going to need a lot of success with these draft picks to build up their capital in terms of either A, building players who can become part of your core, or or B, using some of this established young talent to then trade for other uh, superstars that you know may come up in the future. I think that's probably the Raptors' best path to contention. Um, I don't know if free agency is necessarily the most bankable path for the Raptors, who I have to remind people that the Raptors' best free agent signing are the most expensive, and I, and I guess by definition their um, biggest free agent signing is either Damari Carroll or Hito Tarkoulou. So, um, you know, obviously that was under a different general manager, at least with Hito, Damari was under Masai, so, you know, you just got to keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Cap space, not necessarily always the biggest uh, path for contention for the Raptors. But anyway, let's go through some of the players so the Raptors have been linked to. So the first one is Tyler Bay. The Raptors have apparently seen him in person. Uh, he is a 6'7", uh, you know, power forward from Colorado with a 7'1 wingspan. So that's good. Wingspan is a very big deal. I actually went through and recently did a piece on this where I kind of looked at Masai's draft history and sort of the types of players he's had. Um, one commonality that has has held true throughout his his picks was that he really values wingspan um the average differential between height and wingspan and if you don't know uh the average person uh has roughly the same height as my wingspan so i'm six two my wingspan is probably six two um you know for the, for nba players there is a noted difference nba players tend to have ridiculously long wingspans even though they are ridiculously tall they're even longer than they are taller so uh, for Masai's picks, there's actually been an average differential in terms of wingspan over height of plus 4.5. So, you know, you, you know, to, to put that into perspective, that's pretty much like uh, OG Anobi, for example. He's six foot eight, um, but his wingspan seven two. I guess that's plus six. Um, you know, you, you, Terrence Davis, for example, six four. His wingspan is six eight. So, um, you know, that's kind of what to look for. So Tyler Bay, 6'7", um, power forward from Colorado, uh, seven foot one wingspan. Say so he runs the floor really hard. He's a pretty powerful finisher. I mean, you know, there's some defensively versatile um, tools in there. You know, he's he's got good leap uh, leaping ability. He can contest shots. He's mobile. To me, I would say, honestly, you know, it's, it's harder with bigs because they never look as sexy as maybe a guard does because – a guard's game just naturally lends itself to more skill, and a big, especially earlier in their careers, are usually doing more rudimentary things. I think Tyler has some real skills. Um, you know, I, I would say he's a little undersized to play the four, though, and he's not really that skilled offensively, so he's kind of an in-between kind of guy. If, if you do want a, a undersized four, you at least need to shoot the three pretty proficiently. You obviously need to defend really well, and he has some of the physical tools, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was not the sexiest name on the uh, on the list. Uh, moving on, the Raptors have been linked to uh, Devon Dotson, who is a six-two point guard from Kansas. Uh, you know, six-two point guard, six-three wingspan, so definitely not huge. Um, you know, I would say, yeah. You know, it, it's funny because as I was doing the, the the story about Masai's draft history and stuff like that, I was looking at the guards that he's picked, and the guards that he's picked essentially have there's a hard and fast rule um he pretty much only drafts guards that have a great height so um on average the size guards that he has drafted has been about six four 
And if you take Fred out of the list, which, you know, Fred is technically undrafted, that bumps up to six, uh, of six five in terms of average height for a guard that Masai has drafted. The average wingspan has been about six eight for again the guards that Masai has drafted in Denver and in Toronto. So to 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 give you a perspective of what that guy looks like, essentially a Delon Wright, essentially a Norman Powell, that kind of frame and figure. Um, and so you know, again, the only exception is Fred, and he was undrafted. Um, so it, it, you know, I would be, I don't know if that necessarily rules out guys like uh, Dotson, but um, you know, it could. But I would say Dotson, very quick off the bounce, definitely willing to attack the rim, clever finisher. You know, he's small, he's you know finished pretty efficiently at the rim at the college level, fifty five percent last year from in close. Diverse, you know, set of finishes. You know, just honestly, just a very skilled offensive player when you watch him. Knows how to run, pick, and roll. Uh, has a decent pass uh, in him. Um, you know, he's probably more of a scoring guard than a passing guard, but can definitely do a bit of both. And the Raptors have, you know, pretty much always had combo guards this whole time. So he's interesting for sure. And, um, you know, he, honestly, even defensively, like he gets into it, he gets plays the passing lanes, knows how to play. He's just a smart player uh, and definitely very quick off the bounce, but. You know, some concerns there. Doesn't really shoot the three that well. 31% from three. Um, obviously, you're going to need to shoot the three really well as a small guard. So, honestly, small guards are pretty difficult and they're facing an uphill battle as it is. You're not expecting someone perfect at 29, but I don't. I still kind of doubt the Raptors go this this way with a smaller guard. Another smaller guard that's, that the Raptors have been linked to is um, Malachi Flynn, who is a 6-1 point guard out of San Diego State. That's uh, Kawhi's alma mater. Uh, so Malachi, similar deal with, with Dotson, um, you know, six, one height, six, three wingspan. So again, not a very big guy, but, uh, you know, pretty creative in the pick and roll. Like, you know, he's like definitely very good at running the pick and roll, knows how to find his bigs for passes, knows how to, you know, be patient, work the defense, create angles. Uh, he's good with his timing with everything's like that, you know, letting plays develop. He's definitely savvy enough to create in the pick and roll. I think at the next level. His mid-range pull-up is quite good, um, and he does have a couple of tricks to get to the rim. Um, so he's undersized, but he does shoot well. Um, you know, he's played on the ball, so I'm not totally sure how he would do it as a two-guard, but honestly, you know, I think the Raptors have shown a pretty good ability to take players and sort of add skills to their list. Shooting off the off the catch, off the screens. It's not like the Raptors are running, like, elevator doors every single time or anything super complicated. Um, you know, you rarely see, like, Richard Hamilton type of players where you're going to have two, uh, you know, uh, screens by bigs on the baseline and then him just choosing to run through all of them and trying to confusing people. You, you're not expecting that in the modern NBA. I don't really feel like it's a lot more. Someone penetrates and, you know, rotate the ball and, and swing until someone's open for three. And, you know, I, I think Flynn will probably be fine. I think he's, he's, he's a better shooter than Dotson. Um, he's pretty competitive. Player as well, uh, Malachi Flynn, you know, engaged in every play. And I mean that in terms of, like, some defenders are just kind of like, I can defend my man. I maybe you might even understand what the help rotation is. But some guys aren't necessarily super engaged defensively where they find a way to be involved in every single play. And that's kind of the, the sense I get from Flynn is that it's a little, you know, Fred-esque. You know, Fred will just be in, you know, the play. Someone's running, picking roll on the other side of the floor. And all of a sudden, Fred just pops up and he's, you know, uh, putting his hand in around, you know, um, the free throw line area on a drive and disrupting the pass and or disrupting the dribble and creating a turnover and deflecting and stuff like that. Malachi gives you that kind of sense. Um, you know, there's concerns there. It's like, you know, can he really finish at the next level? He's small. He's not that explosive. But, you know, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. I, I wouldn't mind. if Between the two, I'd probably take Flynn over Dotson. But, you know, both guys are pretty skilled offensively. It's just really that they're small. That's it. Uh, and the Raptors have traditionally, or Masai has traditionally not drafted small guards. Uh, another small guard the Raptors have talked to is Tyrell Terry. Um, so it seems like Terry's probably going to go before um, the Raptors pick a 29. Um, seems like people are really bullish on his shooting ability. But he's 6'2 with a 6'4 wingspan. So again, smaller than the Raptors usually take. Out of Stanford, shooting guard, elite shooter, like pull up, catch and shoot threes, hunts for it transition you know just one of those guys who you know a lot of people can shoot threes but guys who can create opportunities and find opportunities and knows how to play the game i would say terry really fits that role i mean he's probably like a landry shamit basically 
um, because he's also really small, kind of like Shamit, like really slender, 160 pounds, not that explosive. He's not that big either, so I don't know. I would say there's limited upside here, but the Raptors apparently talked to him. I still think that he probably goes before the Raptors pick, but I also, you know, come on, how much do I really know about these draft players? I'm really doing my best here. Um, you know, in terms of other guards that the Raptors have been linked to, Kareem Mane is one of them. I touched on it in the podcast with Katie last week. Um, I like him. I don't know if he necessarily goes in the first round. Probably a second-round guy. And if he doesn't go in the second round, I could definitely see the Raptors going after him as an undrafted player and selling him on the, the opportunity to stay home. Uh, Kareem is, uh, grew up in Montreal by way of Senegal. And, um, yeah, man, this guy is fits physically fits the frame of what the Raptors have looked for traditionally in point guards. 6'5", with a 7 uh, feet wingspan. You know, um, in the first half of the podcast, uh, Vivek talked about um, uh, Teo Maladon. Like, he is also kind of similar in that front, like 6'5". He's got a smaller wingspan of 6'9", but that's still pretty big. Kareem Mane is, yeah, the wingspan is, is incredible. Uh, you know, definitely... Uh, pretty hard competitor um you know i think the offensive skill set is still needs to round out especially for a guard but um yeah i mean i'd be pretty excited to take him to be honest i think just the physical tools is there i think you know being canadian is a nice little added bonus there as well um and you know physically he fits a lot more but he is more raw and you need to put a lot more development into him i think the raptors have not necessarily been shy about that in previous years. I mean, you could argue that Pascal, I mean, Pascal, you don't even argue. Pascal was raw when he came in. OG was raw when he came in. You know, all these other guys, Norm, you know, and, you know, they become more skilled as they come into the program, but they had great physical tools, they had great ability, they had great uh, willingness to compete, and I liked it about Kareem. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Maladon is another guy. Uh, again, it's kind of similar profile. He played in France. Um, good passer as well. You know, some good trickery as well. You know, he's played a lot of professional basketball, so he really is more polished than the average player coming out of this. Like, you know, even if you played NCAA, that's probably not as detailed and as disciplined and as, um, you know, just advanced, I think, in terms of playing in EuroLeague and things like that. Uh, Maladon is crafty at driving to the rim. He has a little bit of a runner, has a, kind of like a little stop start kind of shiftiness, which I always enjoy in the point guard. Uh, especially if you are quick and you are big and you're able to get your shot off at odd angles, that could really help you basically be unguardable um, or at least a lot more unpredictable. Um, at the moment, I would say he's not really unguardable as a whole. I mean, he definitely needs a screen to score. Not very dominant one-on-one score by any means. Um, but I think a lot of players coming out of Europe aren't really dominant one-on-one scorers. I just don't think it's like a skill that is as used there because I think so much of the principles of European basketball, and of course, they're, you know, different leagues, different countries, different players, different backgrounds. Obviously, I'm generalizing, but one of the core, you know, signatures and hallmarks of an international game is that there's a lot less one-on-one. You don't see James Harden isolating 20 times a game in Barcelona or Real Madrid or, you know, uh, wherever they're playing basketball, Olympiacos or, you know, all these other places. So, um, yeah, it's not surprising that he doesn't have a great one-on-one skill set. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's some drawbacks with Theo. I mean, apparently he doesn't really play defense that well. Uh, one comp I saw that I really liked was that he was kind of DeLon Wright-esque. Um, although I would say DeLon's pretty going to D, but, uh, kind of that kind of similar kind of player offensively, you know, with that skill, with that trickery, with that length, um, with that driving ability, pretty good passer as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, that, that kind of player in terms of, uh, wings, so, you know, you got guys like Desmond Bain, who, again, I talked about last week on the pod with Katie, kind of like an Aragorn type, you know, old Aragorn, I would say, not the young Aragorn who, Aragorn who can really drive to the rim, finish, attack, super athletic, you know, like really bouncy. I don't really feel like that's what Desmond Bain is, but he's competes really hard. He's really good at shooting. He, he stretches out to 30 feet. Um you know, solid playmaker as well, you know, committed on defense. His athleticism is below average, and he's got what is known as negative wingspan, which is that his wingspan is somehow shorter than his height, which is pretty normal for a lot of people. I might even have negative wingspan, but for an NBA player, that's, I don't know, it's like a scarlet letter for some reason. But, um, yeah, it's weird. He doesn't really, he also just like very strange player to watch because he's like not jumping too much for shooting because he barely lifts. 
but he just also like the net doesn't move. It's weird, man. Like he's he, he's he's a really good shooter. And again, if the Raptors can get a really good shooter out of the 29th pick, I'd be pretty happy with that. He's 6'6", he can play on the wing. Not, you know, I would not be upset with that one. Um Isaiah Joe is another player the Raptors have spoken to. Apparently the Sixers are they've already said they really want to draft him, which is cool, I guess. Just put your intentions out there. But, yeah, you know, I would say he's a great shooter. A little bit of a chucker, kind of like a Terrence Ross type. If he's going to be taken by the Sixers, then whatever. You know, that's what it is. Good length as well. And some good athleticism. Kind of skinny as well. I mean, he he reminds me a lot of Terrence Ross. Um, You know, who else the Raptors have spoken to? Um, Josh Green. This came in recently. Um, He's 6'6". Shooting guard out of Arizona with a 6'10 wingspan. So, fits the Raptors' physical profile there. Say a good shooter, a bit of a wide base as he shoots, you know, and, and the form is a little strange, although a lot of people have said the top of his form looks like clay, which you know, has to be a good thing if you're being compared to clay as a shooter. Um, you know, he's a, he can finish a little bit too, um, runs the floor hard, you know, willing engaged defender. I mean, I would say he's kind of like a 3 and D kind of guy. I would say he's not offensively skilled to create off the dribble and things like that. Shooting up the dribble has been a challenge for him. When he gets to the rim, a little bit out of control sometimes. Um, I feel like a lot of players in the league kind of fit that profile. You know, long, rangy, 3 and D type. Can't create that much of his own offense, can but can be a supporting piece within an offense. So, uh, you know, Josh Green. Uh, there's Jaden McDaniels. The Raptors have worked out kind of similar to Josh Green. Kind of all-around kind of player. Um, maybe not as good of a shooter, but, um, you know, maybe a little bit more athletic. Uh, and then you get to the centers, you know, the Raptors have spoken to, um, Xavier Tillman is someone that, you know, the Raptors have been linked to from the start. Apparently the Raptors were one of the first teams to talk to him during the draft process. He fits a lot of what the Raptors do. So, you know, one other trend in Masai's drafting is that, um, he's gone for seniors a lot now, not seniors, but like experienced players, juniors, seniors, you know, I would say sometimes even sophomores are considered experienced. Um, but guys who have played, you know. Uh, multiple years, not just freshmen. He actually rarely drafts freshmen. I mean, really, Bruno was the freshman that he drafted, and yeah, you know, that did not work out. So, um, you know, I, I think on one hand, I think it, it is um, an inefficiency the Raptors can sort of tackle and, and use to their advantage. I think a lot of teams look at a guy like Xavier Tillman, who's 6'9", small ball 5, can shoot the 3 a little bit, uh, has done really well in the three-point shooting drills, you know, can defend. He was Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, has consistently proven to have skills that would translate to a winning style of play in the next level. But because he is a guy who has played three years in college, people are kind of looking down on him, right? I mean, probably people look that way about Norm, for example, playing four years at UCLA. Um, or definitely people look that way about Fred. If Fred had been as good as Fred was, but he was, you know, 19 years old, people would have definitely drafted Fred instead of him going undrafted, despite the size. But, um, yeah, the Raptors have done a pretty good job of drafting that later, you know, more seasoned players. Pascal is also a guy who played, what, three years? Uh, OG played two years. Um, you know, and, and I think the other thing is just, part of it is just most of the freshmen that are, like, super talented get drafted Matt early as well. Teams are probably more desperate because they're probably worse. That's probably why they're drafting high, and they want to take swings. And it's always a little sexier to take swings at players who are younger so that you know there's more of a perception of upside because of the young age. I mean, pretty much look at the whole entire Knicks roster for that. But, um, yeah, Xavier Tillman's, you know, he, he's something. He's I wouldn't say he's explosive. I think he needs to still improve his offense. But, you know, honestly, as far as collegiate offensive uh, players go for big men, he's not bad. And he definitely defends uh, really, really well. So... Wouldn't hate that. The Raptors do need some bigs. Um, and then there's Zeke uh, Naji, which I'm not, I feel like I'm butchering the last name, so I really apologize. But uh, 6'11, you know, uh, center out of Arizona, 7'1 wingspan. Uh, I'd say he's a, kind of a post scorer. He loves to spin move, you know. <laughs> not really Pascal loving the spin move, but definitely loves the spin move. Wouldn't say he has a counter just yet in terms of like shooting, um, the turnaround jumper or anything like that, but, you know, that comes, obviously. Um, Active, hustles hard, athletic. Um, his defense, he's a little jumpy. And, you know, I would, basically I would say he's Kenneth Reed. Um, Kenneth Reed was definitely a way better rebounder. He came from a small college, so maybe that's why Masai was able to draft him in Denver. But, um, you know, I could see that kind of rebounding tenacity from Zeke. Um, his size is good, finishes well. 
you know, you, you will have to teach him a lot of things, but, uh, you know, good frame there. Seems like a good dude as well. I don't know. I just got a good vibe from him. And then the last guy that Raptors have spoken to, at least publicly, uh, Jalen Smith, 6'10 center out of uh, Maryland, I believe. Wildly athletic, um, can really jump, super, super fluid runner. Uh, you know, like there are some big men that look really awkward because, you know, they're seven feet tall and their body just looks like, you know, they're playing a game of quap uh, rather than, you know, a sport. But uh, he just looks like a regular person running, um, you know, even though he's huge. And that's always really good. Very fluid athlete in open floor. Really loves to dunk a little bit flashy as well. And the most intriguing thing about Jalen is that, like, he shoots the three. Like, he, he'll come off screens and he'll shoot threes, which is... A, very rare in the college level, and B, just rare in a big. So uh, a guy like that, I mean, he's kind of thin in the waist, so he's a little small. Even though he's tall and he can jump, you know, he doesn't really have the bulk to sort of absorb a lot of contact, which is pretty important in defense. Just look at Mark. He's mostly bulk at this point. Uh, And, you know, if I had to compare him, maybe a little bit like Serge, I guess, you know, with that shot blocking. And, of course, Serge is a very accomplished player, so not expecting that from 29th pick necessarily, but... um, you know, Jalen Smith, another guy I'd be happy with. So honestly, I, I, you know, in terms of predictions, I'm not going to give a prediction. It's hard to predict the draft. The 29th pick is such a wild prediction that you're making. So many things can go into it. I'm not even sure what the Raptors do. Maybe they trade up. Maybe they trade down. Who really knows? But um, either way, I, I'm looking forward to the Raptors adding new players to the team. I think the Raptors do need more young talent in the pipeline after losing a lot of it um, by essentially converting them into uh, tangible players who contributed to the championship. So... I'm uh, looking forward to seeing who these players are, looking forward to these young men essentially having their entire lives changed and their entire dreams coming true, and I'm excited for it. So uh, after the draft on Wednesday, so tomorrow, I will be doing a reaction podcast afterwards to speak on who the Raptors drafted, give you a sense of what they are, give you some news from the team. Um, As of now, um, I'm going to sign off, but uh, who knows, man? The NBA might be very busy, man. I might have to add a third part to this podcast. So thanks for listening. Thanks to V for coming on the pod. And uh, check back tomorrow. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers. Or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save. With a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.